1: Welcome, podcast listeners, to the Absolute Return podcast. On today's show, we welcome special guests, Alliance Entertainment's chairman, Bruce Ogilvie, and CEO, Jeff Walker. Alliance Entertainment is a distributor and wholesaler of the world's largest in-stock selection of music, movies, video games, electronics, arcades, and collectibles. On the show, Bruce and Jeff discuss insights, challenges, and opportunities in the distribution business, the company's roll-up strategy, how Alliance competes and grows in an era of streaming, their thoughts on the current macro environment, and more. A point of disclosure, the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF does hold shares and warrants of Adara Acquisition, the SPAC in which Alliance Entertainment is merging with. With that said, please enjoy our show with Alliance Entertainment's Chairman Bruce Ogilvie and CEO Jeff Walker. Welcoming Bruce and Jeff to the show today, all the way from Washington and Miami. How are you guys doing today?
2: Good.
1: All right. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. Now, I did want to touch on your background before we get into the business of Alliance Entertainment. Specifically, you both have been in the distribution business for multiple decades. Could you give us a quick overview of your background in the industry? And we'll start with you,
2: Bruce. Well, I started selling music uh, at the Swap Meets in 1978. And from the swap meets, uh, I gravitated to becoming my own distributor, wanting to compete with my current supplier. And that's when I started a small distribution company called Abbey Road in 1980. And then I grew that up to about, grew that business to like 95 million dollars a year in revenue. Had a liquidity event in 1994. Entered into a, a, a five-year covenant with the buyer. Got involved in a couple of startups so and got bankrupt. Bankruptcy. When my covenant not to compete ran out, uh, then I uh, rekindled my relationship with Jeff and David. Jeff and David had started a company called CD Listening Bar, which I knew from 1991. They were one of our retail customers. And then I joined a a CD Listening Bar in 2001 with Jeff and David. Uh, David left us after a few years. And then Jeff and I just kind of went on a tear, you know, from taking it from $18 million a year in revenue to. 1.4 billion dollars in
1: revenue today. And Jeff, where did you come from? Where was your background? And if you don't mind, when you're not speaking, if you could put it on mute, that'd be great.
3: Yeah, hello. Uh, My my background is uh, uh, I was at UC Irvine, graduated with an economics degree there, and uh, my friend David and I decided to. Uh, write a business plan while we were at UC Irvine for a music store and after we graduated we opened a store called CD Listening Bar that was in in Southern California in Orange County. 18 months later we were able to open a second store and at that time we were buying from Bruce at Abbey Road and got to know him pretty well and as it went along uh, Bruce as he said sold it sold the business and when he sold it, we kind of said, "Hmm, oh, maybe we should get into a wholesaling business because our friend's out of it now. So we started selling uh, to other music stores from from the back room of our Irvine retail location and continue to grow the business from there. Um, as, he, as Bruce said, we, he joined us in 2001. And over the last 20 years now, Bruce and I have uh, really been focused together to, to build the business to where we are today.
1: Now, obviously, this business has changed dramatically since our humble beginnings and early successes in the 80s and 90s. Now, how have you adapted to that as, you know, the music business and, and video games and the streaming has come into play? Um, how, how has the business evolved, not only evolved, but also thrived over the past, you know, 35 years?
2: I'll take that. So, Definitely a whole learning process as we went from traditionally a pure physical package media provider of music, and certainly we had a front row seat on the transition from physical into digital, uh, even starting in the early days of Napster. I mean, I thought that was a pretty cool product there for what it did there. Of course, it didn't do much for the artists and record companies for the rights at the time there, and I even applied for a job at Napster to try and... Getting in there in the early stages, there uh, I never got a call back but I tried. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> a good idea there. I felt I could really help them, you know, put out all the fires they had started with the digital distribution, ripping all the music off and all that there. And if I could educate them and make them smarter, they could succeed them. And maybe they would be way better. They could have been bigger than Apple is today. If, uh, they listened, you know, had a little time with me because I understood the record companies and how they thought at the time there. I did so much business for over the years there and that, but. Through all that, though, we, Jeff and I, really learned early on there. And we just saying, you know, if we don't diversify, we're going to die. And so, with all our, you know, energy, you know, devoted to physical media and music, and also we were very heavy into uh, video, you know, the handwriting was on the wall. You know, the streaming was going to go. First, it started with downloads, and the download went to streaming there. And, you know, you went through, you know, buy, pay pay for what you want, you know, $1.30 a song. That's $10 a month for all you can eat buffet type deal there. You could just see what's going on. But the one thing that we saw through all this was happening is music is something that, you know, you got to provide promotion and streaming and all you can eat is really no different than the days when music first started. They put out the 45. 45 was a promotional tool. It was a marketing tool. Problem with 45s is that you have to take back the returns. They always lost money on. Them. That was a very heavy promotional expense there. They cut it out really fast. Streaming is so economical and efficient for the record companies that consumers have access to more music than they've ever had in their entire life at the cheapest prices ever there. And that's a great way to get people exposed. And that gets them interested in wanting to go to the concert. If they want to go to the concert, they will engage with the artist. They'll have that connection with the artist. They want to brag to their friends, and they went to concert. They would take pictures at the concert. You know, it's you know, everything I'm doing, with that all that there. And they gotta buy physical media. And the LP is really just a natural choice for that, for that ownership, you know, you are now making a commitment to that artist there. And it's in long term we see it's really gonna come down to streaming and LPs. Is kind of where is that on the music side of things there, oops. You know, we're also heavy in video, we're also heavy in games, and I'll just stop there if you want to go into that separate, but I want to keep the whole music side there from that standpoint there.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Accelerate, one of Canada's leading alternative investment solution providers. Do you want to hedge your investment portfolio and protect your nest egg from significant drawdowns? Look no further than the Accelerate Absolute Return Hedge Fund, a long-short equity ETF that trades under the ticker symbol HEDGE, H-D-G-E, on the TSX. Hedge, your uncorrelated portfolio diversifier. Find out more at
4: accelerateshares.com. Yeah, and actually, if you don't mind, would you be able to go into the the different segments and and give us a little bit better idea of where you sit in between the consumer and and
2: retailers? We're we're primarily a distributor. Uh, That's who it is. We buy from the large record companies, movie studios, and game publishers, and we turn around and we sell that to people who own brick-and-mortar stores. It could be a chain retailer, an online retailer. An independent retailer, as well as we'll do export for areas we're allowed to market to and sell to. We also have a very small part of our, our small part of business is we do our own retailing with our retail brands that we own and control. It's going to be catalogs, websites, and we sell on you know Amazon Marketplace, eBay Marketplace, Walmart Marketplace, Target Plus, anywhere and everywhere we can. And we mail out close to 500,000 catalogs a month. Pushing music and video, and that's for people who just like the thumb through a catalog and create some impulse buy there. And but that, that's our that's how our whole business operates: is distribution, retail. Uh, you know, very strong partner with a Walmart and a lot of chain retailers who really rely on us for either, either a large percentage of their music or all their music, uh, as well as movies studio distributed and games.
1: Now, in terms of Segmenting your business for the sales that you generate, how do those segments uh, fall out of that in terms of percent of revenue from music, movies, and games?
2: Yeah, I was going just, just scramble get my notes out there. Give me a second here.
1: Could be just rough numbers, estimates?
2: Yeah, well, video games, the very top number there is over forty percent of our total revenue there. Okay. Okay and uh song on the music side there. Um, That's right around 30%, 30% range, yeah, uh, 35% range of LP and yeah. CD. Yeah, and then, uh, then behind,
3: were you going to say something, Jeff? No, we have video at another 25% or so.
2: Correct. And then we have collectibles, you know, Funko toys and things like that, which we, 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 we distribute all that because those are items that draft off of 10 new releases, whether it's a new movie or new TV series or a hot fan, uh, anything that will you know, make that consumer own, own something that's not, you can't download the physical element, show it off to your friends, uh, we distribute those products also.
1: Now, as I understand, one key component of your growth strategy is this consolidation or, or roll-ups of competitors that you're doing. Can you describe that and how you expect it to generate returns for shareholders?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah, I'll run with that one. Uh, you know, uh, I remember when we we did our first acquisition in two thousand three. You know, and it was kind of learn by fire. You know, we we uh, we went through it. We we did it, uh, and uh, we've done over a dozen significant acquisitions since that first one in two thousand three, and we're looking for different components. Um, one, one strategy that works well for us is somebody in one of the categories that we're already in, and it's a pure consolidation, saves a lot of warehousing costs, uh, IT costs, and duplication there. Those are always uh, good acquisitions for us. We've also stepped out into acquisitions that got us into new categories. So we we uh, were able to acquire Mecca Electronics in 2018. That got us into the gaming business. And you know, when you move into a new category like that, we were able to get ourselves open accounts with Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo. We could not get those just calling them direct and opening new distributors. So um, that's a, a strategy that has worked for us as well. And today, going forward, uh, we're definitely. Um, we've been able to do all these acquisitions just from our um, asset-based finance, as well as re- reinvesting our profits in the business. So we, don't, we have not had to bring in any outside capital to do those. And that's part of the reason why we're excited about this, uh, the SPAC process going into being becoming a public company is it gives us a whole other opportunity to have some outside capital to support us in acquisitions going forward.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In pursuing this going public transaction, the ability to utilize shares in addition to cash to just supercharge this roll-up strategy. Now, where are you currently seeing the best growth opportunities for growth uh, for this roll-up strategy?
3: Well, there's you know, there's definitely a lot. Being a diversified business, uh, it's it's a lot more interesting opportunities because because we are diversified. So we, at, we look at companies that have products that are similar to ours, whether it could be toys or collectibles or still gaming and, and those type of products, uh, bringing those in. We've also looked at companies that have uh, products that, that aren't ones that we're currently stocking, but they're selling into a major retailer like a Walmart or Best Buy or Target that we do significant business with already. So that's... It just gives us a whole nother channel of business with these large retailers. So that can be a good opportunity as well. So it's a, it's a pretty wide range right now. There's definitely uh, good opportunities out there. One last thing I want to say about it is typically in the past, because Bruce and I did not want to have a small partner, you know, an 8 or 10% partner, most of the acquisitions we did were, were entrepreneurs that were retiring or exiting the business um, by having being on the public side we can have a growing business with a strong entrepreneur decide they want to team up with us and you know maybe take some cash off the table maybe not but also you know become a shareholder in the combined alliance business and continue to run something that is that is growing and, and has you know, a long runway ahead of us. So we're excited about that part. because That really does open us up to some new opportunities, uh, you know, of, of some growth companies that we
1: could actually at It's yeah, certainly Alliance Entertainment is a different opportunity that, than what we've seen in SPACs lately. Uh, specifically, you know, sentiment, on, you know, music, movie distribution isn't great because people look and they're like, Oh, well streaming's becoming more and more popular, what would be the future for this company? Now, where do you see the risks? What keeps you up at night and how would you address skepticism from investors with respect to the growth potential? Yeah, so uh,
3: I'll pick that one. I think before getting to the risks, one of the things we're really trying to develop is Alliance Entertainment has the place to go for all your entertainment products. And it means, you know, uh, in packaged media, it could be an arcade game, it could be a lava lamp, it could be a toy or a collectible, anything that's within the trend and the franchises around all of this media, whether it's music, movies, games, and so forth. That is a big, big space when you put together the entertainment space of gaming video, music, and all of that together. And so if you look at us as a company that's trying to become the go-to place in the entertainment side, I I kind of then look at what Ingram Micro is on the computer side and what Granger is in their space and so forth there. That's what we're trying to put together, uh, where every one of the content providers, whether it's uh, media content or Collectible content or toys or whatever, wants to be working at some point with Alliance, as well as we're working with all the retailers in some department or fashion there. So that's where we're trying to develop where we're going. Um, as far as the risk, um, we definitely, we definitely in some categories, for instance, CDs that have declined significantly from where they were before, but now our business is about 10% on CD. And you know, there's there's another component here where um, it is a risk to be in the media category. Although in gaming and DVD, we're still less than ten percent market share of all the games and DVDs that are sold. And there's there's a there's a risk of shrinking, but there's also a thought that at some point in time, the, the the music labels, the studios, the publishers are all going to really try to move away from physical because of their digital strength, and they're going to license off uh, their physical rights to somebody like ourselves to be the ones to to manufacture it, sell it, and distribute it, and they get out of it in the sense that then they just get a, a royalty similar when they do a toy or a collectible or something like that. It will just be another component of the merchandise. So there are risks in there, but there's also upside and those risks move around.
1: Yeah, it's funny because as tech forward millennials, everyone thinks, oh, you know, streaming is here to stay, uh, no one does uh, physical DVDs anymore, but you'd be surprised. I think I, like Netflix still runs that uh, you know, DVD in the mail, and I, I believe they have like, millions of subscribers. Uh, so there's people out there who still like the physical CDs, physical DVDs, and I don't think that's necessarily going away tomorrow.
2: Well, there, there's fan. If you live in the mountains, you have a big fan, but it's really a problem. You, know, you have to rely a huge satellite you know, to get there, and that's kind of... Downward, their latencies were pretty bad, so that's no good there for streaming purposes. There, playing or gaming or things like that, and um, not everybody has you know cellular service where they're at. So in the road, so look, look, we're not saying it's going to be the glory days of what it was, but it's packaged media, physical media is just not going to go away. There's just still people want to own stuff and have stuff and prioritize stuff there. And when you stream, you're just renting. You're not really. Not, you're not committed. You drop it tomorrow and it's done with. And then the other thing is you lose your collection once you turn it off. You stop paying the $10 a month. Ready. So that's sort of, if you're a collector, then there are collectors out there and all that. But you know, the book industry was doomed for years when the Kindle came out there. And it actually finally hit bottom and it's been training up. And it just comes down to that people want to have uh, that book put on their coffee table to brag to their friends. So what I read, how smart I am, this is what I'm into. So it's, it's all about me. I'm Show off me.
1: Yeah, that's a good point with respect to the uh, technological issues of, say, those living in, in r- and the rural places.
2: It's all over time, there's no doubt about it. They'll figure out how to do better. You know, there'll be plenty of satellites up there with tons of bandwidth to deal with all that. There. Um, they have that now, it's just it's kind of expensive. you got to buy that, was it $1,500 to buy that, that item to receive it? i uh, I'm service.
3: at my condo last night. I can't even. Annual- you know my Netflix is not working on my Wi Fi. I'm like what is that? You know? Uh, it, it, it's uh, it, it's not a perfect science on the on the Wi Fi for
2: sure. But but the, the the it's very convenient. Can't beat it. Uh, but if you're a serious collector, you're really into artists or you want to collect things, you need you need a physical media to get there.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Now, with respect to this recently announced uh, SPAC merger with Adara Acquisition, uh, I was wondering what has been the investor feedback thus far?
2: Well, we've had about 75 calls with portfolio managers uh, that started when we tried to raise a pipe. Pretty dead, Pipe market's pretty dead. <laughs> we learned that fast there. Uh, so we stopped that. And so that led to some other calls. I think at first everybody is a little, wait a minute, you know, that's muggy whip industry, you know, melting ice cube, you know. Yep. But when they heard what we did and what we're doing and how our sales have grown and what we've accomplished and how we're continuing to invest in years in, you know, in, in our business to make us more – we can pretty much distribute anything that fits in our size, our package size. So we have a, we'll have a great – you know, it comes down to fulfillment. Can have, who can get the orders out and get, get the job done there? That's what we do really, really well. That's our secret weapon, having our fulfillment centers that we have in place there. Just like Amazon, look at how Amazon does it. So we have to uh, keep investing in that, you know, not crazy investment, just minimal investment to keep the the system going and all that, but we're willing to do that there. And that's been working really well for us, and there's no complaints there from our customers and we'll continue to grow. But if we have to pivot into something different to distribute there, because there's always people knocking on our doors wanting to distribute something there. We just want to make sure it fits into our, you know, our, our ecosystem. Well, I mean, Amazon has three different sized warehouses: small, medium, and large. It would put us in the small category type of products. We can't run Vizio TVs and refrigerators to our warehouse. It's not designed for that, laid out that way. But there's a lot of electronics. There's a lot of other things that we can distribute uh, that would make work really well in our environment there. As what we kind of show people is that we're nimble, we'll diversify, we'll adjust, we'll pivot. You know, we don't want to go out of business. We, ha- we have to diversify, and we'll do that. And we've been very good at that with all these the companies that we've acquired. We've been able to diversify from purely a music company into music and, um, and video movies. And now we've gone very heavy into the gaming category there, retro arcades, all these collectible items. You know, we're a very large distributor for Funko right now, probably one of their largest distributors they have in the United States right now. And so because we were able to pivot into that and we had the customer base and we had all the expertise in selling on the marketplaces, whether it be an FBA with Amazon or whatever it takes to make a sale. That's you know, how do we reach those customers. Who's got a, who's got a good website. Can we get all these products listed on their websites and expand their selection? It, it's a great deal for people who buy from us and have a website. They really have no risk in the inventory. All they got to do is take a feed from us and just get it in front of eyeballs their consumers. And then just sit back and let the register ring, you know. And we we do all we have to ship the product, we we order the product, we warehouse the product, deal with the effectives on the product, and all that stuff. And that's that's our job there. So it's a- I
3: think also I think also to, your, to the question of what the investors were saying to us, I think they were most of them were shocked. You know, you guys actually are making good money. That was <laughs> that was the. That was the Number one comment, we see so many of the companies coming through the SPAC process that are not that much different than traditional IPOs in the day of some type of startup business that is burning cash and needs cash to continue to, to try to make it to the, you know, to the profit land, uh, on the other side. And I, I think that was, that's a big thing that we're getting and, and you're hearing that a little bit in the industry conversation. About where people are moving towards, they're moving more towards established businesses that you know produce profits and have steady income and so forth. There, and we fit that model going forward right now. And and the last thing I want to say about that is, you know, we're we're not in the in the aspect here of going public and having to raise a lot of capital to keep our business going. Right. You know, we're profitable. We're generating profits on a monthly basis. So our, our reason for going public is solely to give us some expansion capital to really try to grow the business uh, through some acquisitions. So it's a different, different conversation than, you know, somebody that's burning cash and the investors are going, well, you know, what's your, how long are you going to survive until you need your next infusion? And we're just not in that conversation.
1: Yeah, certainly the, the free cash flow and EBITDA is something that you, we haven't seen often in the SPAC market. Uh, in addition, I think the valuation on the SPAC merger is roughly you know six to seven times EBITDA, which I am sure catches some investors' attention. And then the other discussion topic being that of you know so called melting ice cube uh, for mature or sunset industries, and I have seen in other industries where as long as you know you can make acquisitions at uh, multiples that are are accretive and you have that that free cash flow and you can just keep that machine going I have seen. You know, roll-up strategies work very well in other sunset industries. Not saying it's going to be successful every time or that it's easy, but it seems like there is a a blueprint that you can look at there.
2: Absolutely, and I think
3: yeah, and I think to add to that, uh, one of the things we've been talking about with investors is it's not our first time trying to do an acquisition. We're not. We've seen a lot of business owners that. You know, we've acquired in the past, we have been in business 30 years and never done an acquisition. And we've been doing significant ones over the last 20 years. And so when we, when we end the conversation, we want to have access to capital to, to expand our acquisition strategy. It's not like, Hey, we're going to hope to do an acquisition and hopefully make it right. We, it's not only Bruce and I that are, we're heavily involved in the negotiations and stuff, but. We have a significant team behind us now, you know, from the time we do the acquisition to integrate it and get it all um, working within our business. So that we're, as a company, we're experienced in acquisition and that role of strategy that you just mentioned.
1: And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy to use, low cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more
4: at accelerateshares.com. And so switching gears a bit here, um, many investors are, are interested in turnaround situations. And and Bruce, you've been involved in um, at least one of these with the warehouse records, um, which I believe that had sold to Cerberus Capital um, a number of years ago. In, in your mind, what makes a successful turnaround investment?
2: Oh, so what do we look for? I don't think we... Well, we're not a turnaround.
4: Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, this is just backing up into in in your previous experience. Now, this, this itself isn't, but for some of our listeners who are, are more generalists that like looking at turnaround situations in other areas.
1: Or perhaps, do you guys look for acquisitions that you can improve and turn those businesses
4: around yeah
2: i was going to say our, our favorite acquisition is a company that, you know, that they're, let's say their profit is break even or you're making very little money and but they have the same type of overhead that we have we've done an overhead there and we can take that basically we don't have to pay a lot for it because it's as a standalone it's only worth what it's generating is either at best there let's say when let's say you know need a hundred thousand dollars, you know, it's a ten million dollar year business there. And the seller says, Well, I want a three X multiple, okay, that's three hundred thousand dollars, but he has million dollars worth of redundant overhead, we would keep all those synergies and that's our that's we did learn that, you know, through private equity firing things that you know, they they don't you don't know, reward the seller for the synergies. The synergies go to the buyer And so when, a, when we have a seller that's got their hand out for, oh, look at all the synergies you're saving. Yeah, well, there's no guarantee we're going to get that. And that's, that's all we have, we have to do to put that. But you're getting your 3X multiple. So that generally makes the conversation a lot more powerful. That's our favorite type of acquisition.
3: Yeah. Well, one 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 to expand on that one of the things that we see that happens in an example, like Krista said, is that somebody might have significant amounts of capital, working capital, tied up in the business. So they might not be making money like that, but they might have, you know, uh, their assets exceeding their liabilities of ten million dollars, and they're like, "Well, I got ten million dollars just the book value tied up in here." And we've had we've had one in the past where they, you know, they just wanted to get their book value out of the, you know, their cash that's tied up in that business out of the business, and you know, you could see that is part of you know, kind of their profits over all the years stuck in that business, and then. And we can come along and get them out of that, you know. So now you're really buying something almost at a zero goodwill. You were able to cash them out. You just bought it for book value. But if they continue running and operating the business, the business needs, you know, that that capital in there to, you know, to continue. And maybe they weren't running the capital as efficient as they possibly could have. So we we try to figure out how we turn inventory quicker and we reduce. That you know, that ten million of working capital they had, and they were down to two or three million of working capital, and you end up with a good
2: acquisition that way. Uh, one thing to add to that, just for the listeners' benefit about the turnaround situation is for a company we want to buy is how much working capital is the business required to operate there. And mm-hmm. so we, the one thing we kind of learned to do, our rule is we do like a twelve month, twelve month rolling twelve month average of what the net working capital requirement is. Just taking really something very basic is AR less inventory, less AP, assuming bank debt would be of the question if we're not assuming any bank debt there, and say, okay, what is that? How does that look per month? What's the role in 12 months? And then we call that PEG. We set the PEG, and then we say, okay, the purchase price is now X, the PEG is Y, and if the PEG goes, if the net closing value, using the same calculation there, is higher or lower, that would adjust the on upon purchase price there. Protects the buyer, protects the seller that keeps the seller from trying to, you know, slow pay all the vendors and the AP starts running up there. Now the netbook value gets smaller because they take all the cash. So at the time of close, then that forces the seller to put cash back in or buyer to pay more money because the netbook value is greater. So we've had cases where the netbook value was less than the pay. We've had cases where the netbook value was higher than the pay and we had to pay a higher purchase price there. But at the end of the day, we're getting the assets that have the proper reserves for inventory, for AR, uh, so that we're not buying, you know, that we're we're just... What can those assets turn into cash in the ordinary course of business
1: there? Yeah, that's really good advice for those looking to make acquisitions to keep close tabs on the working capital and make sure the seller doesn't uh, play any games with respect to not investing or kind of draining the working capital prior to closing the deal. Uh, So that's really appreciated. Now, prior to letting you guys go, Bruce and Jeff, I was wondering... What time do you wake up every day and what's your favorite productivity hack? We can start with you, Jeff.
3: Uh, so it's funny because uh, this answer is going to be the opposite of the two of us. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm typically up to two to three and I'm probably up at eight um, in the morning. Uh, and uh, so that's, that's on my time frame there. Um,
2: I'm the early riser of the two. It's kind of worked out well that way because a lot of our people we deal with are on the East Coast. So, you know, when I go to bed at, you know, around 10, and I try to get to head to bed. One last quick look at the emails, I want to make sure there's nothing sitting in there that I have to deal with before I go to bed. And then when I get up, and I've probably got 100 emails that come in, you know, from the night there. Now I don't read 100 emails. There's just a lot of reports and things like that that come in there. I can quickly rifle through them, and identify, okay, what are these things I need to take care of in the next 30 minutes just to keep the, I like to get off the clock so the other person, if they're waiting for an answer from me, I want to make sure I respond quickly and get it to them and then move on to the next thing the rest of the day and try and keep up with the pace. So that's.
3: Yeah, so one, one quick funny story back when we acquired Alliance <laughs> in 2013, George was the CFO. Right. Uh, we were we were both in California at the time, but you know we were diligently working on stuff after we did the acquisition. And I'd be emailing it out until two two thirty in the morning, and then Bruce would you know wake up at five and he's starting to email at five. And he was just he's like, oh my God, you guys just got me like you know twenty two hours a day or something. <laughs> it was it was pretty crazy.
1: that sounds like a good tag team there
3: yeah
1: All right, thanks well it was great having you on the show it was was good to get some insights into Alliance Entertainment where you think it's going the growth opportunities and some good insights for investors here so wishing you the best of luck with your growing public transaction uh, merging with SPAC at Air Acquisition and we'll be monitoring the story closely so thank you and wish you the best of luck
2: Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you very much. All right. Bye, Jeff. Bye, Bruce. Take care. Bye,
2: guys. Bye, guys. Thank you. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Thank okay. you. Back in.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast, Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.